today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. was victorious in those temptations. He was without sin in the midst of those temptations. And therefore, he is able to strengthen you and I in the midst of our temptations. The writer of Hebrews, a little bit later in chapter 4, verse 15, says, We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yeah, Christ died for our sin. I understand that. But in order for him to be that complete and total sacrifice, that acceptable sacrifice for our sin, he had to be without sin. The Bible says that Jesus, our high priest, was tempted in every way that a man can be tempted, yet was without sin. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that because Jesus experienced what we experience, he has great compassion on his people. We know that he understands us because he too faced temptation and suffering. Incredibly though, when Jesus was tempted, he never faltered or failed, not even once. This made Christ an acceptable sacrifice, a spotless lamb, when he died in our place. Now here's Pastor David with part one of his message, We Ain't What We Want to Be, from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. quote came from actually an an old black preacher that uh, actually had been a former slave. The quote went like this, Lord, we ain't what we want to be. We ain't what we ought to be. We ain't what we're going to be. But thank you, Lord, that we ain't what we was. (laughs) Well, that may not be good English, but it is good theology, okay? And I understand that as Dr. King used that quote, primarily he was speaking about the racial inequality of the time and also dealing with the uh, civil rights movement. But this morning, I want to use that quote because I believe that it's very appropriate for the area and for the passage that we're going to be working in this morning, in our journey, in our spiritual pilgrimage, and in this whole series that we've been doing through First Peter, our pilgrim's process. So this morning, as you've got your Bible, Hopefully, First Peter chapter 4. But before we get into chapter 4, I actually want to back up just a little bit. We're going to back up only to the last verse of chapter 3 because, again, the, the powerful message that Peter gives us here as we head on into chapter 4. So in First Peter chapter 3, verse 22, Peter is speaking about Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. We need to be continually reminded that right now Christ is in the heavenlies. Right now he is at the right hand of God, and right now he is ever interceding on our behalf. 
as we looked a couple of weeks ago when we looked at that passage, he knows your frame. He's fully aware of your personal situation and the stuff that you're going through right now. And the encouragement that we have right now is that he is interceding for us on our behalf before God the Father. And as he's doing that, he will continue to do that until that day when the father looks at the son and he says, son, things are all ready. Go and get your bride. And that's an exciting time. That's the time that you and I ought to be looking forward to. That's the time when we're going to hear the Lord himself descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And the word says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then again, as Paul writes this in Thessalonians, he says, now comfort each other with those words. Comfort each other with those words. The Lord is coming. And the Lord's going to come and he's going to receive his bride and we're going to be able to be with him forever. We can and should be excited about this because this is the future plan of God on our behalf. God has called us, as Peter says earlier in chapter 2 of First Peter, he says God has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And now we find ourselves right now in this place on pilgrimage. Right now, we find ourselves right now as sojourners, journeying in, the again, the, the path and the direction that God has for us right now, here, today. And we understand fully, Lord, we ain't where we're going to be. This isn't home. And we need to hold on to the things here very, very lightly. Because at any moment, at any time, the Lord could come back. For his own. Now we don't know when that journey is going to end. Now none of us know really the number of our days, but God does. God knows the number of our days. He also knows the day that he will tell the son, go and get your bride. We don't know. And so every day we need to live our lives in that pilgrimage, in that journey with the expectancy, the anticipation that the Lord could come at any moment, at any day. And are we living our lives in a way that, oh, Lord, find me today. I want him to come on Sunday morning when I'm behind the pulpit, okay? Lord, find me today. Don't come just after I've had a disagreement with my wife or I've got a bad attitude or whatever. Don't, don't come then. We, you know, we definitely want to pick the day, but no man knows the day nor the hour nor the time that the Lord comes. We just need to live our lives with the expectation, the anticipation that he's going to come in the twinkling of an eye in just a moment. So with all of that having been said, let's look into chapter 4. Peter is talking to those who are under great persecution. Peter is talking to Christian believers, not unlike many believers that are around the world right now that that are under great persecution for their faith. Peter is talking to a people who are trying to live the life of God in the midst of a culture that was God-less. Beloved, I believe that should the Lord tarry, you and I are going to find ourselves more and more and more in that situation. That the culture around us becomes godless 
And we need to continue to be that light that shines in the midst of the darkness. Chapter 4, Peter writes to us. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness and in lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, we think it's strange, or they think it's strange. They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. And they speak evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and dead. And for this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Let's look back at verse 1 and 2 with me, if you would. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men. Peter is very clear about the fact that Jesus Christ suffered, and he suffered in the flesh. And that suffering wasn't just the crucifixion. That suffering wasn't just during the time of his arrest and his trial and his beatings. No, the suffering of Christ went through his entire earthly life as he continually brought his flesh under control rather than himself being under the control of his flesh. You see the difference there, I hope. Bringing your flesh under control rather than being controlled by your flesh. And as Jesus did that, the word tells us that he was tempted in all things just like we are. Perhaps you have this sin that you're struggling with and you've struggled with most of your life and you're still doing battle with that. Or there's this reoccurring sin that, that continually comes. And I'd like some of you to raise your hand and share that sin with us. This No, no. I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't do it to me, so I won't do it to you. But the fact is, it says that Jesus was tempted, not in most of the things that we're tempted with. My word, and I think yours probably does too, in Hebrews said that he was tempted in all things, just as we're tempted. Hebrews chapter 2, and you can turn there if you will, we'll only be there a moment, but in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, the writer says, Therefore, in all things, he, speaking of Jesus, had to be made like his brethren. In other words, he had to take upon himself human flesh. And in his humanity... That human nature that was there, the desires, the directions, and yes, even the passions of the human flesh were a part of that human makeup of Christ. So he had to be made like his brothers that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation, I love that word. You ought to use that three or four times this week, okay? Propitiation, he, he paid it complete and full. There's nothing lacking. He did a complete and total job of paying for our sins. And then in verse 18 it says, For in that he himself has suffered, 
being tempted. He suffered through temptation. Therefore, he's able to aid those who are tempted. So you see, when you and I are tempted in the flesh, we can cry out to Christ because he went through the very same temptations. He was victorious in those temptations. He was without sin in the midst of those temptations. And therefore, he is able to strengthen you and I in the midst of our temptations. The writer of Hebrews, a little bit later in chapter 4, verse 15, says, We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yeah, Christ died for our sin. I understand that. But in order for him to be that complete and total sacrifice, that acceptable sacrifice for our sin, he had to be without sin. He was that spotless, sacrificial lamb of God. And yet in the midst of his humanity, he had to deal with the temptations throughout his life. And his was that continual practice of bringing his flesh under control so that he knew no sin. And in that process of refusing the allure and refusing the draw of temptation, there was physical suffering because he continually told the flesh, no, no, no. It's interesting to reject the desires and the pulls and the allures of the flesh. To say no is much easier if we said no a long time ago. Okay. But you know, when our life has been made up of no's, yes, maybe just a little, no, yes, yes, no, no, okay, maybe just a little, no, yes then it becomes harder and harder for us to say no continually. You see, we find out even in Jesus' life, even as a child, he was obedient to his parents. Even as a child, he followed the will and the direction of the Father. He learned early on in life that it's a lot easier to say no to the allurement and the desires of the flesh and of the world when we start earlier. But, for some of us now, it's, it's way past early, isn't it? Okay. Can we still have victory over it? I'm here to tell you this morning that yes, you can, because the word of God declares that we can, because Christ had victory over it. And he says that we bring these things before him. Peter tells us that since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, that we need to arm ourselves also with the same mind. The same mind. What does he mean by that same mindedness? And again, it's that mind, it's that attitude of personal sacrifice for the glory of God. Jesus suffered in the flesh in order that all of his life would bring glory to the Father. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 also tells us that he actually learned obedience by the things which he suffered. 
the things which he suffered. And I believe that's directly tied in with the fact that he suffered as he dealt against temptation because he said no to the desires and the allures of the flesh. And there is that tearing apart, that ripping apart that happens when that takes place in our life. His life was a continual, consistent, and complete personal sacrifice to the glory of the Father. And I believe that that's the kind of mind that Peter is telling us here that we need to arm ourselves with. We do this for the reason, for the purpose of glorifying God in all areas of our life. Peter says that we do this here in verse 1. For he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Now, this is a pretty powerful verse. The unfortunate thing in this verse, I believe that there's a lot of misunderstanding of exactly what this verse declares. And let me start out by telling you what I believe the verse does not say. I believe that what what Peter is not saying is that you and I can obtain perfection while on this earth. That if we just really put our mind to it, then we can get to that point of sinlessness and perfection here on this earth. Beloved, if that were possible... If that were possible while we're hauling around this carcass that we call our flesh, then you know what? Christ would not have had to die as a sacrifice. All he would have had to do is go and come and live a a sinless life, live that perfect obedience to the Father, and say, there, I did it. Now you need to do it. And if you do it, then you can go to the Father. If you don't do it, if you fail in it, you don't go to the Father. But because he knew that we could not reach that perfection, his sacrifice covered our sin, past, present, and future. The suffering of the flesh deals with that continual battle in our own life to control the urges and the power of the flesh. And when Peter makes that statement, ceased from sin... Again, it's not because they've reached perfection, but because they have now have power that, again, that power of sin has been broken in our lives. And you and I have power through the Holy Spirit to not be controlled by sin before we came to Christ. That's all we were controlled by. Just just our, our dead nature. We were controlled by that. We could not live our lives to the glory of God. But now since Christ is in us, the power of sin has been broken. Now we sin, not because we have to, beloved, but let's just face it, okay? Let's be honest with each other. We sin because of choice. We choose to sin. So what Peter goes on to strengthen us, with this whole word is, he says, man, don't live any longer the rest of your time that way. You don't need to live that way. Lord, we ain't what we want to be. We ain't what we ought to be. We ain't what we're going to be. But thank God, we ain't what we was. There's got to come a time, there's got to come a time, a breaking time in your life as a believer. When your walk in the Lord, your walk and your desire for the things of God are so much stronger than the desires of the flesh. That the flesh becomes weaker 
Well, it becomes less and less and less. The flesh is already weak, okay. But it becomes less and less, and the Spirit of God becomes more and more. Peter goes on to tell us, he says that we've lived like the world for long enough. Verse 3, he says that we've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Now, I look around the room this morning, and probably some of you might be saying, at least he didn't name my sin. (laughs) And and if that's your attitude, then, then, then you've missed the whole direction, the whole purpose of what he's saying he's not giving an exhaustive list here okay he's just saying that this is kind of a general way that the world lives you've you've lived your life long enough living like the world i love it where 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 paul writes to us in first corinthians chapter six and i want to invite you to turn there real quick first corinthians chapter six paul gives another one of these lists but please understand again it's not an exhaustive list of how the world lives and here as paul gives this list of sinful actions sinful attitudes and lifestyles first corinthians chapter six beginning in verse nine one of the first things he speaks he speaks about fornicators and a little bit later adulterers and in and in general what he's speaking about those that are caught up in sexual sin of any type including premarital or extramarital sin and yes even pornography and beloved yes pornography was even back in that day one of the other lists that he has there is idolaters and you may not have a little statue at your house that you bow down to or burn incense to, but in reality, adulter, idolaters are those who would allow their hearts or their minds to be captivated by anything other than God. Placing that thing or that person before God in their lives. Some may have a spouse in that situation. Some may have wealth in that situation. Some may have their position in in society as that situation. See, idolatry comes in a lot of different forms. It's not just the little statue in at the house and a little shrine, but it's the shrine that we build in our life of anything that comes before our obedience to God. He speaks also in their very uh, politically incorrect, but he speaks about homosexuality and, and sodomites. He doesn't hold back because of the political correctness that we deal with today. He speaks about those that are living homosexual lifestyles and those that are involved in homosexual type activities. He also speaks about thieves and he, he, uh, those individuals that would plan and, and carry out ways to steal or to cheat someone out of what was rightly theirs. Now, a thief is not necessarily someone that comes in your back door while you go out the front. A thief is anyone that would try to take from you something that is not rightly theirs. That can be in business. That can be even in agreements that you have one with another. Stealing, taking from someone else what's not rightly theirs. Along with that is that word covetous. 
And covetous, again, is that, that deep longing to obtain or a jealousy over another's goods or good fortunes. In other words, uh, if I become so, uh, so enamored over the fact that you've been blessed in an area, then suddenly I've moved from encouraging you in how God has blessed you. I've now moved into a covetousness over what God has blessed you with. And he speaks about that. He speaks about drunkards. And I believe that he's calling out to those who would allow themselves through abuse to be under the control of alcohol. And I believe not only with alcohol, I believe that that abuse also comes in line with both prescription and non-prescription drug use. Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter, reminding us through this letter that persecution comes to every follower of Jesus. The encouragement to keep strong in faith in those times of trial is also a challenge, though. Instead of complaining, turn to Jesus. Instead of shrinking from the hard questions, embrace them with truth. Walking in faith and with hope isn't an easy task, but Jesus has promised to walk with us and give us the words we need to speak. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word, and we hope you're leaving us today feeling stronger in your faith. Before we close our time with you today, though, Pastor David would like to ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. You know I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word, And God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Your gift, large or small, is greatly appreciated for the kingdom of God. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for being a part of our time here today. Pastor David will return soon to continue studying 1 Peter right here on The Open Word.